Good morning, everyone. My name is Kristen McGrew. I'm the Director of Children's Ministries, and we are so happy to have you with us this morning and are just excited for the special day that we're going to have. We have a fabulous service planned for you. Worship is amazing. The service is, as someone told me after the 830 service, Scott's on fire this morning, so get ready for that. Um, and then we're going to wrap up this evening at the beach, down at Navarre Beach. We have a baptism service this evening where we're going to baptize over 60 people. So we are really, really excited about that. We would love for you to join us. Yeah, that deserves... That deserves some praise for sure. We would love for you to join us. If you've never been to a baptism service down at the water, it is a super amazing service to be a part of, just to watch all that God is doing. And we've had so many in the past where people will just walk up from the beach and they're like, can I get baptized too? Um, it's really, really cool. So we're gonna be down at Blue Heron Pavilion tonight. We'll gather at 5.30 for food and fellowship, and then we'll head down to the water at six o'clock. Everybody's welcome. So we would love for you to join us if you don't have plans this evening. Um, as we get the service started this morning, if you'll stand with me, we're gonna pray the Lord's Prayer together. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Father God, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us, for the clear skies and the rain is gone. God, we're excited about what's going to happen today and, and watching your kingdom just grow one by one. God, we're so excited and so honored to be a part of that. Thank you for loving us. No matter who we are that day or what we've done, God, you love us regardless of us. And we are so incredibly thankful for that. God, I ask that you be with us during the service. Open our ears and our minds and our hearts for what you have in store for us. And then help us to go out into the community and shine your light and share your love with everyone around so that we can continue to build kingdom here on earth. God, I ask that you be with Pastor Scott as he brings the message and our worship team as they worship with us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, are you ready to worship today? Yeah. 
confess that it's a celebration when our God shows up in the news. Amen. gathered together to worship him so we know that he is here this morning lord we just take a moment to pause and just invite you to continue to move in our hearts this morning through your presence Uh, your presence is truly the only thing lord that can truly see the heart of who we are today and so we just take a moment uh, to remember who you are and remember how important the relationship is with you and just allowing everything right now to just completely fade away just so we're just with just you and us here honoring and worshiping you move in our hearts this morning
you're not in it, I don't want it, let all else fade away, take the whole world, but give me Jesus, let all else fade away, come on, sing it with us.
all things have passed away Your love has stayed the same Your constant grace remains the cornerstone And things that we
more time, you are the one. Lord, I just pray that you would settle our hearts right now uh, in this moment. We thank you so much for your love and we just uh, take a rest for all those who might be experiencing restlessness during this season. Um, Lord, whatever we're facing, whatever challenges of life, whatever unanswered prayers, um, God help us to really Uh, trust in you more and rely on you, cling to you truly. You are our safe place. You are our security. And there's safety in the shadow of your wings. Lord, we know that from scripture this morning. And so help us to draw nearer to you because it's in, it's close to you, Lord, that we're going to be able to see more clearly and truly be able to have peace in our hearts and our lives, trusting you with all things. We love you. We thank you for this time as Pastor Scott comes to deliver the message. Um, We just pray for your will to be done and for us to, to have surrender and just listen to the scripture, Lord, and open our hearts and our eyes this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you say amen? Thank you so much for singing with us and worshiping. Turn around before you're seated. Find someone to say hello to if you would. Uh, if you're watching online, we'll be right back in just a moment. We're glad you're here. Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing good this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this beautiful Sunday morning. My name is Scott Verano, and I am the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it's an honor to have you here in our family room or to have you joining us online. Um, We are so appreciative of the fact that you would take time out of your day to come hang out with us. It means the world to us, and so thank you for doing that. At Community Life, we love God We love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And so if there's anything that we can do to stand alongside you in this crazy journey of life, um, I pray that you give us an opportunity to be able to do that. So um, a couple quick announcements, and then um, we're going to jump into the message. But but I'll tell you this, in our message today, we're going to cover five chapters of Matthew. So like if you were in first gear, I'm going to need you to start shifting up. Like start getting the speed ready, start getting going because we're going to jump in and we're going to get after it. But, um, but here are some, some amazing things that are coming up. Kristen told you about it. Uh, this afternoon, starting at 5.30, we'll be out at Navarre Beach and we're going to baptize at least 63 people. Isn't that awesome? So we're excited about that. If you show up and you've not been baptized and you didn't register, I would never say to you, well, I can't baptize you because you didn't register. If you get close enough to the water, I'll throw you in it. I'm telling you, man, I'm excited about this, what God is doing in this church and in this community. So come on, show up. Uh, Or if you've been baptized and you just want to come be a part of a really cool service, that's the one. Uh, You get to cheer and scream and yell and get to see people just really connect in such a powerful way. So we'll start eating some food at 530 And then the service will start about six and then we'll move down to the water sometime after that. If you've not been to one of these services, just go over the Navarre Bridge. When you come to the bottom of the bridge, take a left of the light and then look for the Community Life banners, the big signs, uh, flags. They'll be on the side of the road. Just follow those in and and, uh, you'll be able to find us that way. Um, the, The next announcement is the artist formerly known as Fifth Thursday is now called The Gathering. 
So ladies, if you are looking for a place to connect, we have an event that is perfect for you. It's coming up on October 13th. It's a Friday. And um, it is going to be a night with dinner, worship, and we have a speaker that will be there. Her name is Casey Jordan. She's the author of Incognito, Discovering God in Everyday Moments. It's going to be a a fantastic night. So maybe you're new to this community, new to this church, and you want to find some others that you can join your heart with. Uh, you'll find yourself sitting around a table with some amazing women. So, so consider doing that. There is a cost. The cost is $25, but we never want cost to become a part of the issue. So um, if there's a way that we can help with that, let us know. Or if you know you can't come and you want to help sponsor um, some others, let us know. You can stop by out in the lobby today uh, or out, outside and, and see the ladies and you can help do either one of those. And what I've learned about God is that God just works it all out. So there's going to be plenty of resource and plenty of opportunity for people to be able to connect and, um, and, and to enjoy that night. Then uh, Tammy is heading to Nicaragua in December, on December 4th. She's taking a team down there the week of December 4th. So if you want to go to the hottest place on earth, you can go with Tammy. I'm kidding. Um, amazing mission that we do there with Project Hope. If you want to go be a part of the kids, spend time with them, I encourage you to do that. Tammy's got some more information. They've got some slots available. So stop by and see her um, or send her an email this week. And then last but not least, if you have listened to everything I've said, but you do not remember anything that I said, then you would be me. Um, (laughs) We have QR codes on the back of your chair. We're going to put them online. The one on the left is an active QR code. That'll give you all the information, upcoming events. You can surf through that. The one on the right is our giving QR code. We are a 501c3, and we get to do what we do because of your generosity. And so thank you for, for giving. If you are not a QR code giver type person, Um, We have uh, boxes by each one of the doors um, and you can give on the way in or on the way out. And and thank you for that. Okay. Um, You can see I'm nursing my voice. I'm going to, this has been one of those days where I'm so passionate about this message that I've been trying to moderate and it's just impossible. But I I ought to set the stage today. So our our series is the gospel according to Matthew. But I want to say right up front that I believe that the heartbeat of this message really captures who I believe we're called to be as a church. And so if I can just get out of the way long enough and present enough, if I can speak in English, then I think the message is going to present itself. And you can really see what I feel like God has called us to do um, here in the community. So we're we're in this series. This is the third part of a four-part series called The Gospel According to Matthew. And if you're new to church or if you've been around for a while, I'll, I'll tell you this. We have one gospel message. And it's the good news of Jesus Christ. But it's given to us in four different accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each one of those accounts all give us um, the same story, but through a different lens. And so what we're doing is studying the gospel of Matthew, what makes his gospel different from the other three. Last year, we studied Mark. If you want to go back, that's posted online. You can go back at our website and find that, listen to those nuances. But we're studying Matthew. What makes him different? How, when you read it, can you understand and really apply it to life? One of the things that I love to say, and I think this is why we teach the way that we do, is that one of the values we have here at Community Life is that we believe in a practical faith. We believe that the words that were written in this Bible 2,000, in some cases, 3,000 years ago are still applicable to today. And so we teach scripture in such a way that it is relevant and authentic and useful in your everyday life. And so going through and studying the Bible the way that we do, hopefully gives you tools and resources so you can do the work, so you can understand and, and be a part of, of, of what God has called you to be in life. And so for me, that's that practical faith and we can see how it moves. 
So a, a, a little bit of information. I'm slimming down the recap so we can get into the, the scripture today. Um, what you need to know about Matthew. So we believe that Matthew, that wrote the gospel of Matthew, is the Matthew that was also known to be one of the disciples of Jesus, Matthew the tax collector. And we know that to be 100% true. Maybe, right? Like you're not ever sure because they don't sign their name to it. But how we believe that that's true is that the early church and the earliest of records, they attributed these writings to Matthew. And so we have no reason to think anything different. And so that's what this gospel is attributed to. Now, how did Matthew construct his gospel? He didn't just sit down and start writing it one day. He actually started with the gospel of Mark used it as a guideline, but then he also took some of the other writings that were available during that time, which captured the, the teachings of Jesus, and he used them to incorporate into his writing to flesh it out. But then just like we would do, he uses his own insight. He was a disciple. He was there. His own stories and information that will help speak to his congregation to really flesh the narrative out. So put all those things together and you get the gospel of Matthew. Some would call it or some would describe it as the most Jewish of the Gospels because he was a tax collector. He was a Jewish person, devout. And so that's how he would write. Um, the other thing you might ask is when was it written? Um, most believe that it was written after 70 AD, which is when the temple was destroyed. And they believe that because of the threads that you see running through the Gospel speak to what that early church would have been struggling with after the Romans destroyed the temple. So the two threads that run through the gospel are these. Number one, Matthew's writing to a Jewish congregation and he wants them to know that you do not have to abandon your Jewish faith to believe in Jesus. That for him, you need to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. So if you're Jewish, you can believe in Jesus. Now you may say, Scott, what's, what's not a Jew? What, what are they? Those are Gentiles. So if you're Jewish, you probably know that you're Jewish. If you're not, you're a Gentile. You fall into that other category. The second thread that you see running through Matthew is Matthew's awareness that this good news wasn't just for the Jewish nation, but it also was for the Gentiles. So throughout the entire uh, writing that Matthew writes, you see him reference um, God's connection or Jesus' connection to the Gentile world because they also respond to the good news. So those two threads run through all of it. Now, today to try and cut down on time a little bit, I'm not going to fully recap the first two weeks where we studied first sec, uh, Matthew chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. But what I will say this is what Matthew's done in the first four chapters is he's really presented Jesus to us in a way that makes him fully approved. Like if you study these things, you'll know that Jesus didn't just fall out of the sky, but rather that he was approved by all of these different things. Matthew uses genealogy. He uses prophecy. He uses astronomy or even astrology because remember the Magi, they're studying the stars. They see something happen and it reveals to them that there's going to be a king that's born. So he uses astronomy or astrology. He uses the historical nature of Jesus' life and how it patterns the, the Jewish story. He even has Jesus go through a time of testing to prove that he was who he says he was. But then if that wasn't enough, heaven opens up and, and the heavenly father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so the first four chapters establish that Jesus is the son of God. Now you may say, Scott, I don't, I don't need to know all that history. But you know, there may come a time when you have to defend your faith. And, and what are you gonna say? Yeah, Jesus is just some guy. No, no, no. It doesn't matter who you're talking to. Matthew has laid out a course that speaks to every single person in life that, that proves that Jesus didn't just fall out of the sky, but that everything was pointing to what God was gonna do. Which then brings us to chapter five 
We have Jesus ready to go. Now we're going to study what Jesus was all about. So um, we're actually going to pick up at the end of chapter four because it sets the stage for what we're going to look at today. So in Matthew chapter four, and, and, and I'll just tell you this, we're going to study about five different chapters. Um, some of you, people in your life give you a hard time because you don't read and pray enough. Maybe your mom calls you and gives you a hard time. You can call her today and say, mom, I studied five chapters of the Bible today. So g- give me a break, right? Like cut me some slack. I'm, I'm, wor- I'm working for you, right? Um, so we're going to start at the end of chapter four. And I, I brought this up to you last week, but I, this is so important to note. Verse 23, Matthew writes this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. And so what he tells you is what he's about to tell you, that Jesus was teaching and he was healing. If you flip ahead in your Bible to chapter nine, verse 35, you have the exact same verse. So these pages in between, guess what Matthew's gonna do? He's gonna tell us about Jesus doing two things. What are they? Teaching and healing. You're like, okay, that's, okay, Scott, that's, yes, I want you to know that Matthew coherently laid out his gospel. And what we're gonna look at today is the teaching of Jesus and the healing of Jesus. No surprise, that's how he laid it out. That's how we're gonna study it. But he goes on in verse 24 and 25 of of chapter four to tell you about the audience that was being drawn into this message. This is super important for us to hear because this really speaks to who we are today. Verse 24, he says, so his fame spread throughout all Syria. Now we, we just read that and we skip over it. But for Matthew, where they were located in, in, Gent, in the Gentile region, Syria was to the north. And that region of, of the Gent, where they were in Galilee was a, a trade route. So for him to say that Jesus is being known in all of Syria, it would be the difference of Zeph saying, so-and-so is famous in the United States or so-and-so is famous throughout all the world. And so what he's letting you know is what Jesus was doing was impacting the whole world during that time. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, um, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and, and from beyond the Jordan. And so what you need to know is that the crowds that were being ministered to were the most diverse, widely um, diverse is the word, group that you could ever imagine. This audience was not a group of theologians that would have been sitting there listening to what he was teaching, taking notes, trying to figure out what Jesus was saying. They were from all over the place. That's who Jesus was talking to. Yes, some Jews, yes, some scribes, yes, some Pharisees, but people from Syria, people that were sick, they were the least of these and they find themselves at the feet of Jesus learning and growing. Now, why is this important? What they're responding to is this is this teaching called the good news. And what they were proclaiming is that the kingdom of heaven has come near. That was the good news. It would be the same as if I went around, and you guys would all think I was a lunatic, but if I went around and said, hey, God's son is over there. Let's go listen to him. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Let's go get a sense or to see what it's like. Remember Greek mythology? They were always talking about the sons of God walking among them. Let's go see the miracles. So people were gathering to see what this Jesus was all about. And so the message was, hey, the kingdom of heaven has come near. If you want to know about it, come and hear it. And people are flocking from everywhere to hear it. So moving to chapter five, Matthew's going to set up the Sermon on the Mount. Verses one and two. He says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them saying. 
Now, one of the things I love to, to lift up to you, and we would just skip over this and not think anything of it, but Matthew says he goes up on the mountain. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, down by the Sea of Galilee, there's not a mountain. They're hills, right? I mean, that's just what they are. There's not a mountain. Um, there is a mountain, but that's not where Jesus was. There's a mountain, and it's, it would be something they could possibly get to. But where Jesus is located is there's hills. And so it, it wouldn't have sounded great for, for Matthew to say, so he went up on the hill. Because for Matthew, being a Jewish person, where do you go if you want to receive the law or to encounter God? You go up on the mountain. And so he's establishing for his congregation that Jesus is about to preach this Sermon on the Mount, and that's where you go to receive the law. And so he gives it credibility. He connects to their... See, we would read over that and not even see it, but he establishes that for his congregation to be able to see it. Then it says, then he began to speak and taught them, saying... And here's where the mother of all paraphrases come in. You guys ready for this? So here's where we're going to run. He starts off the Sermon on the Mount with what you, what you can consider to be like an introduction. Um, and he, he starts off with um, what we call the Beatitudes. And it's a really interesting way to start because you would never think that if you were going to see the Son of God that he would start this way. But it's important for us because it sets the stage for who he's speaking to. So the very first thing he says is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Isn't it odd that the one who's here from heaven would say, blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It would make more sense if he said, blessed are those who are full of the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So already on the very first verse, you are confused. Why would he be talking about those who are poor in spirit? It's, it's upside down. It doesn't seem to make sense. He goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I'm going to tell you this week and last week here at the church, when you combine these two weeks, they've been two of the most difficult weeks in the history of our church. We've had two people that have passed away. We've had another three that are on the edge of eternity today. Addie's already headed to, to, to Baptist Hospital in Pensacola, standing in the gaps for family, loving them, caring for them. I'm going to tell you, we have people in this church that today are deeply mourning in their life. But here's what you need to know that is relevant in this message. When we as believers mourn, we do not mourn as people who have no hope. If you, what Jesus is saying is if you mourn, you will be comforted because it tells you the nature of God, the God that is present to you when you are poor in spirit, the God that is present to you when you mourn, the God that is present to you when you are meek, which during this time meant to be humble and to give other people the place or to lift other people up. And so they start with this be attitudes to really set the stage and address the congregation, that's not a good word, the audience that was in front of him. Because what he's gonna teach in the Sermon of the Mount, the people that were listening to him would go, well, I can't do that. That's why he establishes this because he says, you are the ones. Those who would say to me, I, I wanna believe, but I feel like I'm, I'm lacking in my spirit. No, no, no. When you recognize that you're missing and you're lacking, God will fill you up because that's his desire. He wants to fill you up. Does that kind of make sense? So it's the introduction, if you will, to the Sermon of the Mount, and he really speaks to that crowd that's there. Then you get to verses 13 through 16, and Jesus establishes this understanding that we have a role to play in this. He talks about salt and light, that as believers, we season, we preserve that salt, and we also offer light, clarity, um, truth, that you bring light into situations where things are confusing or where, where people are lost, you bring in light. And so it's the beginning part where he establishes for us that we have a responsibility with this message that he's about to preach. And then verses 17 and 18, and I want to read these for you today. This might be the linchpin 
of Matthew speaking to his congregation where they can feel comfortable that by believing in Jesus, they're not deviating from their faith. Jesus says in verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And so for Matthew's congregation, a great Jewish congregation, they would have heard that I can believe in Jesus because he's not just some outlier. He is the fulfillment of the faith. So I can hold on to him. I can still be Jewish. I can still celebrate my faith and hold on to Jesus in that very same way because Jesus came and fulfilled the law. Now, Jesus does this so strategically in this message because for the people that are there listening to the message, they're going to soon, when we start studying it, think to themselves, I can't do what you're asking me to do. Jesus tells them, don't worry, I'll do it. I'm the only one that can. So I'm gonna be the one that fulfills the law. So then we move on in verses 21 all the way down through 48 in chapter five. These are known by biblical scholars to be the, the antithesis statements. And, and I, don't, I don't know if that's exactly probably the best description of them because Jesus doesn't give the antithesis of two things. He actually makes a comparison. So Jesus makes a statement and then he gives his belief, which is a comparison of it. And sometimes it's that plus and makes it deeper. So it's not really the antithesis of what he says. He just takes the meaning deeper. And so let me explain it for you. In the Sermon on the Mount, he deals with some different topics, anger, adultery, divorce, um, making promises or oaths to people, um, retaliation, and how we deal with our enemies. And here's an example. Verse 21, he says, you've heard it, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall, not, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. So here we are in Gulf Reese. Is it fair to say murder is bad? Okay, so there's three people in here that agree that murder is bad. Can we all say that murder is bad? Okay, good. All right, so Jesus says, hey, you've heard it said that murder's bad, and if you murder, you're gonna be judged. Verse 22, but I say to you, that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. I fail. I'm telling you before I get home today, I'm gonna be mad about something, right? So like when, when I hear this and I hear Jesus teaching, I'm like, oh, I, yeah, I'm probably not gonna murder anybody today but you're telling me that I can't be angry, that's gonna be a problem. So can you see why Jesus sets up the Beatitudes? Because he's setting up the ideal for the life, for the transformation, and here's really what he does. He sets up the rule or the law, you shall not commit murder, and he says it's not enough for you to stop just short of murder and inside of your heart be eaten up with anger. He says, because you don't just come to the place of murder, it starts somewhere inside of our hearts. So what the message is all about is about transformation and shifting that around and starting right where we are. And when anger starts to rise up, you deal with that anger and you put it down and you never get to that place of murder. And so Jesus is, is causing us to think about what those end result laws are. And it's not enough for him that you don't just commit the, and break the law, you gotta bring it all the way back and work on that transformation inside of our hearts. Verse 27, he says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. And I think we could all uh, uh, admit that adultery is not a good thing. It destroys families, it destroys lives. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In her, in his heart. 
And so what he's saying is, this is not about just doing everything all the way up until the edge of adultery, but hey, I'm, I'm clear, I'm good. No, no, no. God's concerned about the condition of your heart. And you've got to work on that. You've got to bring about transformation. So throughout this entire Sermon on the Mount, I pray that you'd go back and read it. With that understanding in mind, you can go back and deal with those topics and be aware of what Jesus is driving home as he starts to teach and, and, and spread his message. The last one I want to look at in chapter five is what we call the, um, the love ethic. So the, probably the, the biggest marker of who Jesus is, is his stance as it relates to love. Um, you know, every week we say, love God, love our neighbor. But listen to what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard, it's, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But, but he, he gives you a reason why. We would already be like, oh, that's crazy. He says, so that you may be children of your father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And what he's saying is, hey, Love your enemy because God does, because God does. Now you hear that and you're like, I can't. There's no way that I can do that. The people that would want to come against me and want to destroy me, I can't do that. But guess what? You might be able to pray for them. When you think of transformation and the work that God is doing in our lives, you may really struggle with what he's saying. You may not truly be able to love, but you can start moving in the direction of what God would look like in transformation. This doesn't make sense until Jesus is hanging on the cross and he looks out at the people in front of him and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the centurion who's standing by says, whoa, surely this is the son of God because it's a marker of something that you would never expect and you would never understand. The love ethic that Jesus delivers to us goes far and above and beyond anything that anyone else has ever taught. And it's probably the greatest marker of who Jesus is. And so then we move into chapter six. And chapter six in the Sermon on the Mount deals with the, the three big aspects of Jewish piety, um, prayer, fasting, and, um, uh, and giving. And he, Jesus reshapes them, still with the idea of transformation. And, and I'll read verse one to you so you can kind of understand what he's doing. He said, beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your father in heaven. He's like, so if you're doing these pious acts so that other people can see you, you're going to get your reward, but your reward is not from God. Your reward is from the celebration of others thinking that you're pious. But you're not going to get a reward from God because you're not pious. You're doing it for other people's praise. You yourself have not allowed the transformation to happen for God to say that person is someone who's truly praying. Now, we've turned this into all sorts of wonky things and we're like, we're afraid to even let other people know that we're giving and don't keep giving records. Sometimes you get it, people hear that. that. That's not the case at all. He's trying to get you to understand the intent of the heart and that we're not trying to do this to get praise from other people. He just wants the intent of your heart to, to match what it is that you do in life or what you do in life to match the intent of your heart. And so chapter six, he goes through those different forms and aspects of piety, which brings us to chapter seven. And I'm going to tell you, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Encourage you to go read it. Um, this is putting your, Jesus closing out his sermon and telling us how to put it in action. And so the very first verse of chapter seven, and, and they don't have these back in the back because I wasn't sure which one I would focus on. But the very first verse of chapter seven, Jesus says, do not judge. So he starts right there. Now, without looking at anybody or saying anything, is it fair to say we have a lot of people in this world that like to judge? A little bit judgy, judgy, the society that we're living in. Um, people are really, really, really more concerned about others than they are about themselves. 
And so Jesus starts with this notion of do not judge, and he kind of clarifies it in verse two. He says, for with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give, you will be the, will be the measure that you get. And so there's so many different times where someone will come to me and they're like, Scott, let's talk about this thing and this person or this group. And I have these conversations all the time. And what I inevitably say is, hey, I don't know that you want to be in the position and the space that you are, right? Like you're, you're getting yourself into a situation where you're the one that's, that's doing this. And what I always love to say is, there's a judge and I'm not him. So let's just trust that God's going to do that and let's be about the work that he has there. And he goes on in here to clarify, and he, he doesn't say that we're not supposed to judge, but what he does say is get the plank out of your own eye before you try to remove the speck out of someone else's. Like if society did that, we'd be in a much better place because our hearts would be in a different spot. It's all about transformation. And then you read on down into chapter seven and he gets to this understanding of asking, seeking, and knocking. And this is one of those foundation cornerstones of the prosperity gospel. Um, where, where, where Matthew teaches and he's trying to give you a picture of the heart of God. And he says, hey, you, your heavenly father loves you. And so ask, seek, knock, because he wants to give you good things. And so what do we do in the body of Christ? Woo, God is a vending machine. Boom, God, I want this. I want this. I want this, right? And we've taken this theology and we've jacked it all up. No, Matthew, through the words that Jesus is saying, is trying to let us know that God loves you just as you would love your children, and so as God is blessing and taking care of you, yes, there are things that he wants for you, but make no mistake, you are to represent him. And when you represent him, then he receives the glory. And so the things that he does in his life are really to, to bring his glory on this world so he can be known. So it's not about God being a vending machine. It's about asking, seeking, knocking, because he's a heavenly father that loves you and that wants the best for your life. Does that kind of make sense? So working through this stuff theologically is so important for us to do. The golden rule is in there, the narrow gate, the tree and its fruit. Um, and then finally, we get to the end of chapter seven. And this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that one setting that they were sitting in. And Matthew gives us a, um, the response of the people that are listening. And he says, verse 28 and 29. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. And all week long, I've been like, what does that mean, right? Like, what does it mean someone who has authority and not as the scribes? Because I'm gonna tell you, the scribes had authority. They knew scripture better than anyone else. And so you would think that they would kind of be part and parcel to one another. And, and I got this idea, and um, I, I, I haven't asked my brother for permission to share this story, so it's probably gonna cost me some money. So, uh, but I'm gonna share it with you. So Tom, uh, we all at one point lived in Orlando, and the Verano family decided we're moving back up into the panhandle. Dad was in the military. We love this area. And so Tom was the first to move back. And we all had to have a way to survive. So Tom decided he was going to go to be a marine mechanic. He had a buddy that lives here in town, and they were going to start their own business. And, um, and his, friend, uh, his, his friend's father was one of the very first mechanics in the Destin Harbor. I mean, one of the best. And so he raised his son, you know, probably drinking motor oil, whatever it is. But they were down there and they just knew their stuff. And so Tom goes to school, gets all of his certifications, and then they come back and they start a business. And I'm gonna tell you, if you pulled your boat up in front of Tom and, and his buddy, um, and you walked out and you said, hey, the boat's doing this, this, and this, Tom would have to strip the whole motor apart and troubleshoot it to figure out what's going on. But his buddy would listen to it, he'd sniff it, He'd probably taste it. And he'd say, here's exactly what the problem is. And 99% of the time, he was right. That's a person who has authority with the information that he knows versus a person who knows the information but doesn't understand or doesn't represent it. 
Does that help and understand what we're talking about? So, so the people that were there, they look at the scribes and they see them as not authentic, that what they're preaching is not ma- ma- match their life, but they look at Jesus, Jesus is preaching it, and he's living it, and he has the one that is authority. And so they recognize it in him. Chapter eight, so we finished chapter seven, that's the teaching, so what do you think chapter eight is? It's the healing stories. And I'm not gonna read through these, but I will lift one up to you. In chapter eight um, is the story of the centurion, the Gentile. Remember I told you the second thread that runs through Matthew is about how Matthew incorporates Gentiles into the narrative. And so there is a, a centurion that's in Capernaum and he goes to Jesus and he says, master, he said, my servant is, is very ill. Can you, can you pray for him? And Jesus says, let's go, let's go over to him. And he goes, no, 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 I, I'm not worthy of you coming into my house, but if you speak the words, he'll be healed. And Jesus says, what? Like I, I, in all of Israel, I've not seen a faith like this a Gentile. And he prays and the servant is healed. He doesn't even have to go there. And so it's that thread of the Gentile and the faith that they have being woven throughout the gospel of Matthew. Then we get to chapter nine. And, um, and this is where Matthew introduces himself into the story, but he does it in third person. And so he introduces himself into the story. And I want to read this because I think this will tell you a little bit about Matthew, but we get to Matthew chapter nine, verse nine. And he writes this, and Jesus was walking along he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a, tax, or at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. Verse 10. And as he sat at dinner, and we find out from the other gospels that it was the dinner at Matthew's house. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, this is Jesus, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you pull things out of context, you could walk away from this text and believe that what Jesus said to the Pharisees is that you're well, I'm not here for you, I'm for them. But Jesus continues on in verse 13 and he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call not the righteous, but the sinners. And what Jesus does is he quotes Hosea chapter 9. And what Hosea is doing in chapter nine is he's, he's prophesying to and about the priests during the time who were all about doing the right things, sacrificing, following all the rules, but their heart did not represent the heart of God. And so it wasn't even close to the heart of the people. And so what God says to the, th- through the prophet is, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I don't want you doing all of this stuff, but your heart doesn't represent me. I want you to have mercy and a heart for these people. That word mercy also means compassion. Love these people in the same way so that when you minister to them, when you are a priest, it's truly representing who I am. And so these Pharisees, when they would have heard it, they would have went like, ouch, that's, that hurts. But that's Matthew. Really, I'm, to me, I, I think just that understanding would have changed Matthew's heart. That for him, being ostracized because he was a tax collector, Jesus would have been defending him and his place in the world because the scribes would have been the ones that shoved him out. And now Matthew sees Jesus loving him and caring for him and making a way for him to be connected back to the kingdom. And so I wonder if that wasn't maybe the single most um, profound, not the single most, you got the resurrection, one of the most profound things inside of Matthew's life. So then we move on over and and we're going to close this out to the end of chapter nine, verse 35. And that's where we get our bookend statement. Jesus was teaching and Jesus was healing. And so we've, we've gone through and we've talked about all those different things. And so I want to pick up and read for you what he says next, because now we're about to set up what Jesus is going to do to respond. 
Verse 36, he says, when he saw the crowds, so he's finished teaching, he's finished healing that section. He says, when he saw the crowds, Matthew actually puts us into the mind of Jesus and lets us look out and see what he feels. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, which is the marker that he said the scribes don't have. He has compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his, into his harvest. So imagine, if you will, for a second, that Jesus looks out over this crowd of, of those who are, are the Beatitudes, right? Like the least of these. And he looks at them and he's like, ah, oh, they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so can you imagine, this is what he does. He says, hey, Jerusalem, I need you to send some priests out here to help me. He doesn't do that. What does he do? Chapter 10, he sends the disciples out. Jesus does something about it by taking those who are transformed, who do follow him, who do believe in this message to now go out and be the shepherds that care for the people that are so hurting and so broken. And then you get a picture of what that gospel message looks like, how Jesus started to raise them up and then ultimately how he raises us up and sends us out. So, um, so let's, let's pull all this together. The first thing that I would love for you to consider today is the Sermon on the Mount. The main thrust and heartbeat behind the Sermon on the Mount, um, besides the particular specific messages that he delivers, is that the Sermon on the Mount is about transformation of the heart. To Jesus, there is a big difference between looking religious and actually being a faithful follower whose heart matches his life. And so for Jesus, it doesn't make sense in this gospel, that you would be a person that proclaimed one thing, but your heart didn't match that. And, and I would be willing to tell you today that God's act of sending his son to this world was so that we could truly, honestly see what represented God. The kingdom of heaven has come near. We look at the life of Christ. We see how he carried and went about his life. That's what we're supposed to be looking at. And so the Sermon on the Mount, all of the different messages that he looks at, it's more important to not just look righteous, but to actually do the work that happens inside of our hearts. It's not about looking good. It's about actually being good. Now, you may be sitting here saying, Scott, that's difficult because I heard what you said. So remember, pull back in the Beatitudes. This message is for those who recognize our need for God and our inability to be perfect. And when you recognize that you're poor in spirit, then God is going to bring you to a place to where you'll be rich in spirit and he'll help to bring you to that place but I can't do it. Jesus will. I came to fulfill the law. Then you look at the Sermon on the Mount as the ideal for us to transform. I may not be able to love my enemy today, but I could possibly pray for him or pray for her. And you start to see the transformation that happens inside of our hearts. And then the second thing, so that's the first part. It's about transformation of the heart. The second thing is this, is that I try to imagine, and, and this is where I get fired up in this message, I try to imagine what it must have been like for Jesus um, to look out over those crowds and to see these people so hurting and broken, sheep without a shepherd, he calls them. And just for a moment, process and think about his mind. Here in Jerusalem and in the synagogues, his father has built and established a relationship with a people who have, for 2,000 years, that were supposed to be on the earth to love, care for, minister, and represent God to the world. And as Jesus is standing there a few hours drive away from Jerusalem, 
He's looking out over these people and he's like, these are sheep without a shepherd. Like there's no one doing the work. All of these people that are religious around here and no one's doing the work that they're supposed to be doing to bring. He says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And, and, and if you wanna get to the heart of this message, it is exactly where we sit today. That where we sit in society today and you look outside these doors, there are wide swaths of people. Some of you have dared to come inside the doors, but there are wide swaths of people, sheep without a shepherd, that on one side, the world is picking them off. The wolves of the world are picking them off. And on the other side, the wolves of the church are picking them off. We have marginalized women. We have abused children. We've taught theology that's harmful. The church as a whole has done things to hurt people more than it has really done to help. And so as we sit here today, we're looking out across this, this, this vast playing field of what's going on, this harvest field, and there's sheep without a shepherd. And there's really only one thing that we can do about it. We can't call Jerusalem. We can't look at a movement that's going on. We have to do the work of transformation. And then guess what? Go out into the world and love them. Go out into the world and represent God to these people who are so hurting, so broken. People that have been hurt by the church or have never even heard from the church, but they're definitely not ever going in. We have the opportunity to do that. But do you know what that means for you in your life? That means that you may have to do something that you were told never, ever, ever to do. You may have to take a sinner to lunch. Now, I mean, it's funny to think about, but I remember a time when you, you, you can't go do that. They're gonna rub off on you or they're gonna ruin you. You may have to go into work and spend time with someone that you know is not a believer. And I pray that you do that because what God has done in your life, they need. They don't need your religious jargon. They don't need your garbage. They need Jesus. And if we will allow God to do this work inside of our hearts, I'm gonna tell you the transformation of the world will begin because what they will see in you is the kingdom that has come near. Amen. But you listen, you love, you care. You don't meet them with the gospel message and hammer them on their head. You listen to their story, you love them well. And when God brings the story together, you start to share and you connect them to Jesus. That's what God has called us to do. And that's our place here in this community. And so I pray that we could be that church. So many of you, it's so interesting to me. We've had so much growth over these last few months and many, many, many of you are here at this church because I didn't know we were doing this, but we've created a safe space for people who've been hurt by the church to come and, and work back through theology and to work back through some of the things that were taught to discover who Jesus truly is. And I'm proud of that. I don't understand that. I don't fully know exactly what's going on, but that's who we are as a church. And if you're here and you're doing that work, come on, let's keep doing it. And if you have things inside of your heart that you're like, this doesn't make sense in the body of Christ, let's, let's do that work so that when we go outside these doors, people will experience Jesus, the living God, who loves them more than they could ever possibly imagine. Amen? Yeah. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, please, please, it's good. Y'all can clap if you want to. That's awesome. Thank you for that. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to know him because God loves you so much that he'd be willing to send his own son for you. And I apologize that maybe we've not represented him well, but today you can open up your heart and you can choose to believe that God loves you and you can make space inside of your heart for Jesus and then allow that transformation to begin so that others can see the work that God is doing in your life. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you for the heart of this message. God, I, this is not easy. It's not easy to, to do the work, but it's what you've called us to do. There's no one else
that's gonna come in and do this work. And so, so you've called us to go out into the world and be the disciples that love and care and represent you to this world. And so God, raise us up, help knock off the chunks, help us to get rid of the garbage so that we can represent you fairly, truly, honestly, authentically to the world. So when people look at us, they can say those people have a sense of authority about them because we are who we say we are. It's not just a fake presentation on the outside. Do that work inside of the core of our heart, God, not for Community Life Church, but God, for your kingdom. And Lord, for those that maybe don't know you today, I pray that their hearts would be open and that you would begin this journey in them as they experience life. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite you, if you will, to stand. And um, Greta's on this side of the stage. I'll be on this side. We'd love to pray with you if there's something specific that we can pray about. Um, But if not, enjoy this final song. Sing along with the crew and, and just let these words minister to your heart.
Thank you for coming and hanging out today and studying five chapters or six chapters of Matthew. Um, I, I love this church and I, I, I so appreciate you giving us space to be able to do this. Um, I'm gonna pray that God gives you names of people this week that you need to take to lunch. And then I pray that you all come hang out with us tonight at the beach. We've prayed all the sharks away. No sharks, none of that. It's gonna be awesome, right? Just don't look at Facebook over the last two weeks and you'll be fine. <laughs> Stephen, don't be looking at Facebook, you'll be bad. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And as we go from this place, I pray that you would go before us. Give us wisdom and discernment. Open up doors. Lord, open up hearts. Give us words to speak and sometimes just the ability to be present to people and represent heaven and, and, and people's lives or, or your kingdom. God, we love you. Thank you for giving us a task and a responsibility to be about and allowing us to be a part of this big journey. Give us names of people, God, that need to be loved and love them well. We love you. And it is in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You guys have a wonderful week. Thank you. Thank you.